Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to... Kathleen Powell, Curator of St. Catharines Museum and Supervisor of Historical Services. And Sarah Nixon, Public Programmer at the St. Catharines Museum. Today we're having a special podcast episode and we're going to talk about International Women's Day. Yay! Awesome! And it's an all-women's podcast today. It's just Sarah and I. Adrian is our recording technician for today. Thank you, Adrian. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. <laughs> so International Women's Day, for those of you out there who don't know, is marked on March 8th. And we have uh, created this special podcast to mark that day. Uh, International Women's Day is a global day celebrating social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. Woohoo! And the day is also a call to action to accelerate gender parity. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's going to take something like 170 years for women to achieve gender parity. So, we definitely need at least a day of action, if not years of action, to get there. So, this is how we're honoring. International Women's Day is with this pre- this podcast and, you know, getting more of our voices heard. Exactly. Uh, also interesting about International Women's Day, which you can find at www.internationalwomensday.com. Very conveniently uh, created um, <laughs> URL for the rest of us. Uh, you can find out every year they have kind of their own theme of how they're going to uh, um, theme International Women's Day. And this year's theme is Be Bold for Change. Take bold action and do something really important and really big on International Women's Day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year, their uh, hashtag and their um, theme was about making a pledge for gender parity. Um, but because they found, I guess they figured out that it was going to take so many years, over 100 years to get to gender parity, that bold for change is the way to go. You're not, we're not going to get it just doing the same thing we always do. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, really, really important things to think about. Mm-hmm. And how can we all be bold for change to, uh, to, to make a difference for women and for gender parity in our own community. Mm-hmm. I so. think that's a really important call to action, and I, I hope we all take that to heart today. Definitely, and I would encourage all of the uh, people out there listening, not just women, but women and men and everyone else, to uh, do something bold for International Women's Day and take a picture or uh, put out a tweet or a post on Facebook, Instagram with the hashtag Be Bold for Change mm-hmm. uh, to really show your support for International Women's Day. Mm-hmm. It's, it really does make a difference. And every single person's action will make a difference. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you, Kathy. So at the museum, we are big fans of International Women's Day and the women's movement in general. And a part of that, this past year, we've been running an exhibit uh, in our Burgoyne room called Leading the Way. Awesome. And it's an exhibit that focuses all about women's history in Niagara and all of the amazing things that women have done in our community. Mm-hmm. And it's a great exhibit, really, really awesome photos and stories about women who have done some amazing things in our community. I wish mm-hmm. we could have more women featured in there because Definitely. I think there's, what, 20 women featured in that exhibit. Mm-hmm. But 
thousands have made an impact in our community. Definitely. And what I love about our Leading the Way exhibit is it, sh- it gives each of these women their own platform, their own stories being told in a very specific way. It's not like they're hidden in other stories. Like They have their own platform in this exhibit, and that's why I think it's really cool. And they're people that we don't always have a chance to talk to, you know? And I think it's really cool that we've been able to give them this highlight in our exhibit. So yeah. it's really cool. I totally agree, and I love the fact that the um, the women who are featured come from all walks of life. Yes. So you don't have to have been a city council person to have made a big impact as a woman in the community. You mm-hmm. could just be um, a stay-at-home mom or mm-hmm. um, a woman working in agriculture or mm-hmm. a woman working in education, and mm-hmm. these women have all made a different kind of impact, but always a big impact on their sphere of influence which I think is so important exactly exactly I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people think that they have to uh, be part of something bigger to make a big impact but Mm -hmm. that's not the case at all Mm -mm. no we can and they we feature everyday women which I think is important and that kind of goes back to this idea of be bold for change which is the hashtag for this year right right this idea that we can be ordinary people but we can still make those small but mighty actions to help us in the future so Exactly. And so to great segue, Sarah. (laughs) So that's a great segue to our podcast. So this is our uh, small contribution to International Women's Day and our way to uh, to be make a big, bold move for change. And we are doing this podcast about one of St. Catherine's most well-known women's advocates, Lillian Phelps who was a suffragette, but I'm going to let you tell us a little bit more about Lillian Phelps and a little bit of a bio about her so that we're got a background. Lillian Phelps, she was born in St. Catharines in 1859, and she is one of the most well-known activists and speakers at the turn of the century, especially, uh, you know, speaking for women's rights. Throughout most of her life, women in Ontario and Canada, they did not have the right to vote. But that did not stop Lillian from being an outspoken advocate and an in-demand lecturer on temperance and women's rights topics. So Lillian, she was a daughter of a blacksmith. She graduated from the Philadelphia School of Oratory. Following her schooling, she dedicated her life to public activism which with much success. She was very involved with the Women's Christian Temperance Union and served the organization in a number of different capacities. She served as a recording secretary and was president of the St. Catharines Women's Christian Temperance Union at various times from the 1880s through to 1900. She was also a member of the Canadian Women's Suffragette Association and a freelance writer on temperance and women's rights topics. Much of Lillian's time was spent lecturing across North America, spreading the temperance message and furthering the work of the WCTU. She received many accolades for her speaking engagements, including from the Daily Argus of Ann Arbor, Michigan, which noted her address was scholarly throughout, showing Miss Phelps to be a student of sociology and also an accomplished historian of all lands and periods of the world's history. Very impressive. Lillian Phelps died in January of 1920 at her family's home in Meryton and is buried in Victoria Lawn Cemetery. So for our podcast today, we will be featuring the words of Lillian Phelps, and we have found some amazing, strong, 
super awesome women in our community who have empowered Lillian Phelps's words yet again uh, and we'll be uh, reading her words for you from an essay that Lillian put together called Women as Wage Earners which was published in 1890 in a book edited by B.F. Austin called Woman Her Character, Culture, and Calling, which was published by the Book and Bible House in Brantford, Ontario. We hope that you love hearing Lillian Phelps's words as much as we loved pulling them together, reading them, and really giving them agency. So if you'd like to read along, uh, we'll be posting the article with footnote or in the footnotes on our blog. Alicia Floyd. Women as Wage Earners. Brenda Schultz. Women as Wage Earners by Miss Minnie Phelps. Deb Burnett. Women as Wage Earners by Miss Minnie Phelps. Kathleen Powell. Women as Wage Earners by Miss Minnie Phelps. Ruth Unruh. Women as Wage Earners. Sarah Nixon. Women as Wage Earners by Miss Minnie Phelps. Valerie Chalmers. Women as Wage Earners. Jess Clark, Women as Wage Earners, by Miss Minnie Phelps. It is a geometrical axiom that things which are halves of the same thing are equal to one another. It follows, then, that woman, being the one half of the human whole, is equal to the other half, the male fraction, and they, being one, have a common interest in all that relates to either sex, their mutual aspirations, spiritual advances, and the struggles for existence. Two-thirds of the human family are laborers, either of brain or muscle. One half of the whole is woman, and the question presents itself, what is the percent of women as laborers and as wage earners, and what is the accredited value of that labor? In 1840, that good and great woman, Harriet Martineau, visited America and found seven employments open to women, teaching, sewing, keeping boarding house, folding and stitching in binderies, work in factories as compositors or in domestic service. So great have been the changes since Miss Martineau's visit that in the United States, 300 doors are now open to women and in our Canada, from the census of 1881, we find 227 occupations where in 1840, our mothers had but seven. In the two main departments of manufacture in the United States, including boots and shoes, carpets, cotton goods, silks, woolen hats, there are employed 535,000, one-third of which are women, or about 180,000. In the province of Ontario, there are 18,650 women employed in the various trades and occupations, and in the Dominion of Canada, there are 45,889. In the factories of our province, there are 7,594 women, 247 girls between the ages of 12 and 14 years, 1,588 between the ages of 14 and 18 years. These women, working side by side of the male laborers, battling with the same physical struggles, full of the same higher aspirations, the value of the world's market of exchange being equal, 
find they receive from one-third to one-half less wages, doing the same work with as much skill as their brother workers. Let me give a few instances of the wages paid to women in the great industry of underwear for women. We hear nowadays of the cheapness of these garments, so much cheaper, you say, than you can make them yourselves. You wonder at it. Here are the reasons and the only reasons for the underclothing that some of you are wearing at this very hour. Some poor needy sister has been paid the sum of 48 cents per dozen or four cents a piece for the manufacturer of the same. She has been paid 40 cents per dozen for coarse drawers, night dresses, tucked and trimmed, a dollar thirty per dozen, while for the white skirts, tucked ruffles, she gets one dollar per dozen. This is not all. These women and girls must buy their own needles, thread, oil, and soap. Twenty cents for one spool of thread, forty cents for another, which lasts two weeks. These women work nine and one-half hours per day, if late five minutes are fined five cents. These facts are from the City of Toronto, the City of Churches. And while you are reading these things, the rush of the shuttle and the hurrying needle is being plied while some of us wear these garments, which mean life and virtue to some poor girl. Do you not catch the echo of Tom Hood's stitch, stitch? And do you not see finally the picture of one more unfortunate? This is but one example of a class of women who, compelled by necessity, are slaving for the mere pittance. There is a terrible affinity between vice and hunger, between low wages and the eating cancer of our cities, the social evil. Dressmaking is an industry of a class whose value by our returns is little better than that of the Mongolians and of not as much value as that of our Indians. The productive value is greater than that of either the brewer or the distiller, and nearly equal to both. The employees outnumber both. Take again another class, school teachers, both male and female, giving the same amount of time, their standard of excellence being equal. What do we find? That women do the work and men get the wages. In my own city, St. Catharines, I have gleaned these facts. There are two teachers in our central school, both doing entrance examination work. Last year, the woman promoted 14, the man two. The woman gets $600, the man 900. Giving as is granted $100 for the responsibility of headmaster, why is it that the woman, whose work is superior to the man's, gets $200 less wages? Answer. Sex. In 1880, there were 7,218 school teachers in the province of Ontario. In 10 years, the increase has been 1,033, all females. There are 2,744 male teachers and 4,474 female teachers. Average salary for male teachers in cities, $776. Average salary for female teachers in cities, $358. Average salary for male teachers in country, $427. Average salary for female teachers in country, $287. 
These are the facts and they jostle theories. In every line of occupation given, we have shown that women is equal to man in the quality and quantity of work. The question naturally arises, if woman can and does do the same kind of work as a man, why should she not have the same wages and along what lines can we remedy this inequality? First, by giving the same protection to woman as to man, by allowing woman a chance to enter any field of labor, she may find open to her. The sphere of each man or of each woman is that which he or she can best fill with the highest exercise of their respective abilities. And all that I ask for woman is the same liberty of choice as that offered man, and the chance to prove by that liberty of choice her ability to do her chosen work. Has God equipped woman physically, mentally, and morally as members of society, as the one half of the human whole? Then what God made her able and capable to do, it is a strong argument he intended she should do. I do not plead the identity of the sexes. I plead their equality. I do not ask that woman plead protection from these glaring evils. I do ask that woman may have a chance to protect herself by the same lines as the other fraction of the human whole, man, because there are about as many women as men who have to rely upon their own energies for bread, despite the fact that for every 100 females born, 106 males are given life, and strange as it may seem, in 16 of the states there is a majority of women while the Canadian outlook is about the same. Rum, tobacco, and vice have killed off man, while the survival of the fittest seems to be a woman's lot. Again, woman's wages are cheaper because she labors too much in a few occupations. Today, on this continent alone, there are more than three million of women who have to rely solely upon their own energies and earnings for their support. 250,000 are the public school teachers. 500,000 are working with their needles for scanty wages. 500,000 more are in the factories of this continent, while more than one million are in the kitchens of America. Throw open the doors of every profession, trade, and occupation, so that if one line becomes a glut on the market, she may, like her brother, look elsewhere. Second, give woman the same preparation for her chosen calling as that of her brother. All sons are expected to learn some trade or profession, why not all daughters? So that when reverses come and some rich man is not on hand to marry the girl, she may find herself in a position to earn a respectable living. This touches a very vital subject, viz. the social purity work of the WCTU. Hundreds of women, through reverses of fortune, have been compelled to go out into life's battle unequipped for its struggles and unprepared for its competitions. What do we find? They seek for some genteel employment, never having been taught that sometime they would enter the ranks of the world's wage earners to compete with equipped hands, and they go down in the awful sea of vice. Joseph Cook of Boston tells us that in that city alone, there are 18,000 young women keeping up their daily occupations and getting the remainder of their support from a life of sin. Many of these are clerks who are obliged to keep up appearances for the sake of their position, whose salaries are too small. Give woman 
a thorough preparation for life in some trade or profession, teach her to feel, whether she be a daughter of a millionaire or that of a mechanic, that God never intended that there should be drones in this moving, busy world, and that in any and every position of life, it is the duty of every person, man or woman, to be able to earn an honest penny if the urgency of the case demands it. Third, back of the two plans for the bettering of women as wage earners is the foundation upon which both must build. Example, the ballot, for as Canon Kingsley once said, women will never have social equity until she has legal equity. That which is true of women as wage earners today was true of the working man in England 50 years ago, when during that great famine mass meetings were held all over the country, and in Manchester the great and good John Bright attempted to tell them the causes of their poverty, and to give as the remedy the ballot. The great hungry audience in response shouted back, We want no franchise, give us bread, and the meeting was broken up. These laboring men were at the mercy of capitalists. They organized trade unions and strikes, and by means of these extorted better wages. But after a time, reformers like Cobden and Bright began to agitate for household suffrage. As soon as household suffrage became a law in England, a bill was introduced into Parliament asking for appropriations to build schoolhouses for the education of the children of the laboring classes. Up to that point, no politician had ever made a move in that direction, and every session of Parliament since, labor and laborers have received some attention. I present these remedies to you from a trial and from experimental knowledge of the one half of integral humanity, man. The steps by which man has developed and assumed his present position are the steps that womanhood now and the womanhood of the future must tread. Some of you are fearful that if the ballot be given woman, and with that the ever-opening doors of commerce and of trade, the widening doors of the legal profession, the doctor's healing art, the editorial chair, the preacher's desk, and the various occupations and trades as, various as the talents of woman, that somewhere, possibly, woman may lose her womanliness and aspire to the other sex. It is not occupation or work that makes noble womanhood. The noble qualities must be in the woman, and these qualities can be set forth if she be called to earn her living at the wash tub or on the preacher's position. True womanhood depends on the individual, not the occupation. Again, it is another law of geometry that the whole is greater than its parts. To develop the whole in the early history of the human family, God put forth this axiom in another way, when he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he created woman as a helpmeet and as the one half of the whole, as man's equal, the complement and the supplement of each other, and the development of either one means the advance of the other. The woman's cause is man's. They rise or sink together, dwarfed or godlike, bond or free. For she that out of Leith scales with man, the shining steps of nature, shares with man. His nights, his days, moves with him to one goal. If she be small, slight-natured, miserable, how shall men grow? 
For woman is not undeveloped man, but diverse. Could we make her as the man? Sweet love were slain, his dearest bond is this, not like to like, but like indifference. Yet in the long years liker must they grow. The man be more of woman, she of man. He gain in sweetness and in moral height, nor lose the wrestling thews that throw the world. She mental breadth, nor fail in child ward care, nor lose the childlike in the larger mind till at the last she set herself to man, like perfect music unto noble words. And so these twain upon the skirts of time sit side by side, full-summed in all their powers, dispensing harvest, sowing the to be, self-reverent each and reverencing each, distinct in individualities, but like each other, even as those who love. Then comes the statelier Eden back to men, then reign the world's great bridles, chaste and calm. Then springs the crowning race of humankind. May these things be. Again, things which are halves of the same thing are equal Again, to one another. things which are halves of the same thing are equal Again, to one another. Again, things which are halves of the same thing are equal to one another. Again, things which are halves of the same thing are equal Again, to one another. Again, things which are halves of the same thing are equal to one another. Again, things which are halves of the same thing are equal to one another. So Sarah, we're back. Great article. Mm-hmm. When I listen to that article, every time I hear it, I get so I almost get chills because yeah. I don't know about you, but I love to vote. <laughs> and so whenever she talks about the fact that women need to have the vote and how important it is, mm-hmm. I totally get it because mm-hmm. when I go and vote every time, I feel like the power that I have mm-hmm. just in being able to vote. Yes, and I feel like I don't I don't think about how this is new. This isn't how it has always been. And listening to Lillian, you can feel her anger and her energy and her wanting for change, right? And I get a little riled up when I listen to her, you know? So it was really awesome. That's perfect. That's perfect for today, for International Women's Day, because yes. International Women's Day is asking everybody to be bold for change. Mm-hmm. That's the hashtag. Use it in all of your activities today. And thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Yes. Special, 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 special thank you to all of our readers and to Julie Rorison for helping to organize all of these women together to do this with us. And happy International Women's Day. Thank you for being here and honoring this really important day with us today. Be sure to follow the St. Catharines Museum on our various social media platforms. We're on Facebook at Dash St. Catharines Museum. We're on Twitter and Instagram at STC Museum. And on our WordPress blog at stcatharinesmuseumblog.com. This episode of Museum Chat Live was produced by Adrian Petrie, Sarah Nixon, and Kathleen Powell. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and the City of St. Catharines.